you're choosing to pick up your life and work remotely and travel for four months to a year, you're, you're a special type of person. You know, you're, you're making a, a really big decision and a decision that's really similar to these other people. Welcome to the Freedom Lifestyle podcast series, a series that is so much more than just a podcast series. This is a movement towards freedom in life and in work, and about taking a lifestyle you know you deserve. I'm your host, Sam, and I have always admired working where you want, when you want, and how you want. Just like my guests, I found my version of the freedom lifestyle, and I'm sharing all the secrets for how you can too. The freedom lifestyle looks different for everyone. What's your free? It's episode 27, and I'm recording this episode up north from my grandparents' place, which is so perfect since this episode is all about the work from anywhere movement. If you've been listening to my show for a while, you know that I'm a full-time freelancer and I primarily work remotely. This ability to work from wherever and whenever is so important to me, and this journey for me all started when my dreams of moving to San Francisco to work there and be with my boyfriend got completely blown up in my face. If you want to know more about that story, check out episode 21 of this series where my boyfriend interviews me about the freedom lifestyle story. Totally hooked on the ability to work from anywhere. And so for this episode, I collaborated with one of the OG brands that empowers this movement. If you're not familiar, Remote Year, they are on a mission to foster genuine human connections across diverse people and places. And they do this by coordinating group travel for individuals who don't want to quit their jobs, but still want to see the world. This business was started by two friends who co-founded Remote Year. On the first day they launched it, they had a thousand people sign up. They knew they were onto something. Since then, thousands of other people have now taken their career to the next level and traveled the world with Remote Year. I wanted to learn more about how this program works, what types of people are participating, what kinds of remote work they do, and how employers are responding to all of this. I wanted to learn more about how this program works, what types of people are participating, what kinds of remote work they do, and how employers are responding to all of this. In previous episodes, I've had other remote workers on the show, like my friend Shrada, who proves that to achieve the freedom lifestyle, you don't have to just quit your job. You can actually create freedom in so many different ways, and it depends on what works for you. Pretty cool. Remote Year is offering our community $300 off a trip when you travel with them. Just make sure you click on the referral link in my notes to get the offer. So in this episode, to answer the many questions I had, I interviewed Emily Moyer, who is the head of brand and content for Remote Year. She's been with the company since the beginning, so she definitely has a pulse on the future of work and has watched this space really take off. We explore her journey with travel and remote work and the experiences she's had on the team. We finish off this episode with a mini interview with a remote year alumni. They call them citizens. Maggie Fogg, who was actually at my first live podcast taping earlier this year, and I'm finally introducing the episode. Stay tuned to the end for that. Welcome to the podcast, Emily. Thank you, Sam. Thanks so much for having me. 
Yeah, I'm so excited. It's been overdue. I've been kind of working with your brand for the last few months for Freedom Lifestyle, and I'm glad we're finally having you on the actual podcast. Me too. Long awaited. Totally. Where in the world are you? I feel like whenever I talk to one of your colleagues, that's how we start the calls. Like, where are you right now? Yes, definitely. And I'm sure usually usually everyone's in a very different part of the world. I'm actually in Kittery, Maine right now visiting um, a friend who, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but is actually a former remote year participant. We, we call her alumni citizen. So hanging out with her, who I've, I've actually been traveling with since the end of her program three years ago. Oh, wow. So she's stuck with it even past her remote year journey. It's now part of her life. Yes, exactly. She's, she's took her job on the road for the first time when she started the program and has not turned back. <laughs> That's amazing. And how often do you have to travel for work? Like given your role, had a brand, had a content, I was looking at your LinkedIn. I know you've done a few roles over the years with remote year. Are you moving around a, mu- a bunch? Yeah, so I actually traveled with our very first program. We call them the OGs. Um, I love that. <laughs> after that program ended, I really haven't had to, like for my role, be in any specific location, but I love coming to visit our programs in different cities. And I stayed on the road. So I, I do continue to work remotely and travel and, and actually kind of still follow the, the remote year one month in a new place. It's, a, it's still a very sort of nice amount of time to be in any spot and then spend some time back in the States here and there as well. That's amazing. Collecting all the stamps on your passport, exactly. as Drake would say, repping from Toronto. So are you someone who counts the number of countries you've been to, or do you have like a special way you capture and like showcase that progress? I've seen some of those maps where you like scratch off the countries. Anything fun you do? I actually don't count the number of countries I've been to. Um, I've, I've really always been into like this concept of slow travel. And my first big trip was actually at 15. And I did uh, a summer in Israel, spent about six weeks traveling through the country. And so I just sort of like set this mindset in place that I just truly enjoy spending more time in less places. So um, I don't know exactly how many countries I've been to, but I have to imagine I'm somewhere in the 40s. But yeah. That's so exciting. And I'm sure there's still countries still on your bucket list. If you could like snap your fingers and be somewhere tomorrow, like where do you want to explore next? Madagascar, Sri Lanka, and India. I haven't, haven't made my way there yet. And what were you doing before remote year? Like tell me a little bit about the evolution of your journey with travel. Yeah. So yes, travel has been a pretty big part of my life. So as I mentioned, I I took my first big trip at 15, spent the summer traveling through Israel and truly just got the the travel bug and spent the following summer in Hungary, the summer after that in Spain. Um, I somehow had convinced my parents to sort of let me leave and go do these like random educational travel programs around the world. And then at 19, I actually moved to Argentina for a year. So I lived in Buenos Aires and took classes and, you know, became fluent in Spanish. And at that point, it was it had sort of solidified my, my just true love of being in, in new countries and spending a lot of deep time there. And so when I graduated college, I sort of thought that I was going to go abroad again. I, I just assumed that was going to be part of my plan. I'd find work abroad and, and sort of make that, that leap immediately. But I ended up not doing that. 
Um, obviously, plans don't always work out as you think they're going to. Uh, and I instead joined Teach for America, which is education nonprofit. So I taught for a few years and then worked for Teach for America on the nonprofit side and loved it, but truly missed being abroad. Knew that was just me at my best and knew that also was where I, I wanted to be doing work as well. Um, I wanted to work in, in travel and this idea, this concept of working remotely had sort of just like started to become mainstream. You know, I always like to say, you know, the, the four hour work week had come out and I slowly started to kind of like, you know, open up my mind to this concept of like working remotely and traveling. Feel how you want to feel about Tim Ferriss, but I, I sort of still think he's the godfather of, of some of these concepts. And um, so I, I ended up asking Teach for America if I could take my, my fundraising job to Thailand with me um, way back when. And they said no. <laughs> that was sort of a, a, the place that was the turning point for me where I just knew like I, I wanted to work remotely and be able to be wherever. This, this concept of being location independent was sort of implanted. And that's what kind of brought me to remote year. So I ended up leaving uh, Teach for America for about six months to go travel and sort of figure out how to work remotely and make this happen. And that was six months later, it was right around the time when remote year was born. So were you a remote year participant first or did you join like the corporate team right away? I did join the team right away. So I joined right after our first program launched. I was actually originally hired to lead our second program, but as startups, you know, go, I, I started actually doing some, what we called at the time recruitment. So looking for people to join our second program instead. And that, that ended up turning into my first role at Remote Year, which was head of admissions and which we now call program placement, but basically building our early communities. You've had your own experience of pitching a company about a remote gig and they turned it down. What's your take on this? Do you think that more and more companies are open-minded to this? Are you getting to see that firsthand based on the industry that you're in? What's your take? Yes, definitely. So the conversations definitely changed. I mean, when I had this conversation, it was probably five, six years ago. So I mean, the concept of even, you know, broaching the subject of, of working and traveling, I mean, no one was talking about it. Everyone thought I was crazy. More interesting part of that story too is they actually six months later came back and approved it. So I actually could have taken that role remote. And that was sort of what I, what I started to realize then was like, this is just a almost like a fear of the unknown for employers, right? Like once you sort of plant the seed and employers start really thinking about what that actually looks like, what the reality is of allowing your employees to, to take their work um, outside of the office, you know, it takes just a little bit of time for those ideas to really set in. And I think that's what we've seen on the broader scale as well. So, you know, I think when we first launched three years ago, we had still a lot of conversations with employers and the conversation was really still centered in the idea of, but like, what is remote work? You know, what, what, I don't even really understand how, how I would let my employees, how are they going to get their work done? How am I going to know that they're going to get their work done? How do I ensure that they're going to perform the same way? Right. And now it's really about how do we effectively implement remote work practices and flex work options that are going to be meaningful to our employees. So, you know, that same conversation, you know, we've sort of seen it change over the last three years into something that's much more complex. You know, this, the concept of remote work, I think is much more mainstream now that every company is at least thinking about it, talking about it, has had a conversation about it, understands what it is. And now it's, you know, they may not have done anything with it. They may not offer it, 
but they know what it is. And if they are offering it, they're probably thinking through how do we really do this in a way that's that's going to be the most effective and not just checking a box, you know, and letting your employees just work remotely on Fridays or something that, you know, may may not actually have a, an impact on people's, you know, needs and, and wants in terms of how they want to live. Got it. Yeah. There's only so much you can do with one day a week being remote. <laughs> so it's, you can't really get that, that travel experience that I think a lot of people are wanting to do is being able to work wherever, kind of whenever. And what's interesting about the remote year model is you provide these opportunities for groups of people to come together who are all working remotely and wanting to travel the world together. And you create all these experiences for them, which is super exciting. But for a lot of people that I talk to, their barrier is how do I get a remote job? So any tips for either someone who wants to either pitch their employer on working remote or wants to, knows that's not going to happen. And so now they need to start finding a completely new gig. I'm sure you get that question a lot. What's your advice? Yeah. So my first piece of advice is that we actually see way more success when people want to make a transition into working remotely and traveling. When they actually do approach their current employer. And the reason is, is because usually if you've been at your current employer for longer than a year, you know, two, three years, they want to keep you assuming you're a top performer, right? And there aren't a lot of tools that they have to retain you, especially millennials who are really asking for much more flexibility and a lot more options in how they can build work into their life and find that balance. And so, you know, I think a lot of times what holds people back is this fear of, ah, I'm going to rock the boat. They're not going to go for it. They're going to say no. You know, that fear of rejection, I think, is a lot scarier than leaving and going to find a new remote job. And so my first piece of advice is always, you know, you don't have a ton to lose actually asking your employer to, to work remotely. You're not asking to leave actually, which is a more challenging for your employer because it's expensive and they have to replace you and all of those things. By asking to work remotely, you're actually saying, I want to keep doing my same job or maybe a little bit of a different version of my, my same role. I want to keep, you know, growing because obviously if you're, if you're trying to, to take the leap to work remotely and travel, you're looking for a challenge. You're looking for a bit of a change. And that's a pretty great thing for, you know, you as a professional to be able to continue to grow. And so for your employer, it also, in a way, is a show of being bold. That's a pretty cool thing to see from one of your employees to say, I care enough about this company. I care enough about you know my trajectory. I care enough about our company's trajectory that I'm willing to pioneer this for us. And so I think if you sort of shift the mindset into that perspective of, I'm not only pioneering this for myself, but I'm pioneering this for the other employees in my company and for my company itself, I think it makes the, the conversation go a little bit smoother and it's a little less scary. The other thing I suggest if you are approaching your employer and asking for permission is, you know, really taking the time to, I'd say, think about it almost like you're negotiating a salary or negotiating a promotion. You know, how much work do you put in to sort of fight for those things? And I, I'd say approach it in the same way. Usually you're going to make some type of business case if you're going to negotiate for a salary, a salary you know, increase or, a, um, or negotiate a promotion. And so in, in a similar realm, you know, put that same amount of thought into it. We, we have a process that we actually walk all participants who have full-time jobs who need to get permission from their employers 
through. And we ultimately have this, a team that we call our employer success team that they're experts in this. They work with people every day on, on how to identify their proper stakeholders that they should have conversations with, how to craft the right conversation, the right business proposal. Um, and so, yeah, I think the the time and effort you put into it really pays off in the end. And then in terms of, you know, let's say that doesn't work out or, and you've tried, you've asked, they've said no, or, you know, you just really know that your role cannot be done remotely. We do suggest sort of using similar strategies that you'd use if you were finding any job you know i think the best way to get a job is is through people you know and through connections and through really honing what you're looking for and being selective and um being intentional about you know what what you're who you're talking to and who you're reaching out to um and i think a lot of times you can also sort of think about you know just because a role doesn't say that it's remote again as part of the negotiation process you can always negotiate for a couple of days a week, or you can negotiate for a couple months a year of working remotely and, and bringing that into the conversation, just like you'd negotiate your salary or your bonus. You can always bring in the conversation of negotiating your flex work options in that conversation as well. Got it. And I think with these tools, you know, we're having this call right now on Zoom. You know, I'm a big Slack user. All of these ways that we can still maintain regular communication, I think that's all helping as part of this bigger picture of moving us towards this future of work where people do have that flexibility that it's so clear that they're craving. I know for myself, I'm a completely remote worker now. I perform all of my tasks from my laptop. Often it's just from my apartment here in Toronto, but sometimes I go traveling and that adds a whole other element of how do you do your remote work in these beautiful places? I'm sure given that you're kind of working remotely, what do you think it takes to be successful and what kind of challenges have you run in balancing work and travel? Just like it takes work to balance your life at home, it takes work to balance your life on the road. And I'd say for for some of us, it takes even more work. Um, And so for me, what I've found is, you know, I'm naturally a motivated sort of, you know, I I care a lot about my work. So being motivated to do work isn't the problem. It's more actually sort of carving out the time to do things that um, I want to do as well. So one of the things that I, I, that have been, has been really helpful for me is building in a morning routine which actually just really keeps me grounded and like gets me ready for my work day. And I think just like kind of brings a little bit of like normalcy to my life on the road. You know, I'll I'll land and I'll be in a new city and I'll be sleeping in a new bed and I'll be like looking for my new coffee place. And I've been on the road for almost four years. December 1st is my four year travel anniversary. And so I've had that transition moment so many times. And I think knowing that no matter where I am, I know that like my first few hours of Monday morning are going to look the same and they're going to get me ready to work has been has been really really helpful i think the other thing thing is just like to pay attention to yourself and and paying attention to like how you're feeling if you're feeling really imbalanced you're feeling like you're burning out or you've got too much on your plate or you're just trying to do too much you're ultimately not going to be able to you know put what you need to put into work and you're also not going to be able to enjoy those moments um you know those magical travel moments and so i think just really remembering that number one like work is your enabler to be being able to live this lifestyle and so making sure you're prioritizing you and your health and and your ability to do your best work but also remembering that you know there's only so many things that you can do when you're on the road when you're in a new city you can't do everything that you might have been able to do if you were just on vacation and just sort of letting go of that FOMO and being okay with picking out the things that are the most important to you and, and, you know, using sort of cafe time as, as equal parts, you know, work time and city exploring time. 
Let's talk about remote year, the business itself now. I know the model has changed a little bit, even since I've been kind of in this space. It originally was the full year. Now you have the option to do the four months trip. So given that you're kind of an OG with remote year yourself, can you talk a little bit about what the original business idea was, maybe how it's changed over the years? I think that's really interesting. Yeah, you know, I'd actually say it hasn't changed that much. Um, our original offering was a 12-month program, you know, a new city every month. And we still offer that. We just offer it way more and way more consistently. Our, our four-month program offerings are a newer offering that we launched in the last year, which has been a really great opportunity for us to just explore what different lengths of programs look like based on, you know, people's needs. The model has been this idea from the beginning. So it's a different city every single month. So does that mean you're staying in the same area for a full month or did I miss that? Yes, exactly. So you're in the same city for a month. You have the same apartment, which allows you to really, I think, get a full taste of that city. You know, I think if you go somewhere for a couple of days or even a week, you know, you aren't going to really feel like a local. But if you stay somewhere for a month, you get to know your coffee guy. You know, you end up going to the same restaurants a couple of times. And that city ultimately just like leaves a little mark on you. We definitely have, I think, some people who feel like a month might be too short or a month might be too long for some cities. Every place is different and, and everyone, you know, experiences every place differently. But we found that that month is just that sweet spot for really exploring a city enough that it, you really, really understand, you know, what life is like there. And, but it's, it's not too much that, you know, you're sick of it and, you know, can't wait to get out. No, I love that. I think slow travel is so smart and something that I've really been deeply considering because I think a lot of us have had that experience where maybe you only have two weeks or maybe you have three weeks or maybe you have a month if you're lucky to go on your trip and you're just trying to go to as many places and check off as many cities as possible and you end up losing stuff going from hostel to hostel. Mm -hmm. You never feel settled. You never feel like you fully saw that city. So as I'm approaching my next big trip in the new year, definitely wanting to stay in some place for a minimum of a week. Like that's kind of been my approach given that it's shorter trips, but I think it's super smart. So slow travel. So in terms of, you know, the types of people that are being attracted to remote year, what is kind of the demographics or age groups? Is it um, people working on certain types of roles? Like what's the most common type of work people do while they're on remote year? Cause that might give some inspiration for others. Yeah. So there's actually a ton of different roles that people have while they're on remote year. I mean, just the general, I'd say highest percentage of roles fall into the buckets of, you know, being a developer, being in marketing, designers, but we definitely have, you know, people who are in sales and finance, we have writers. The friend that I'm staying with right now, our citizen, she's actually an intellectual property lawyer for one of the biggest law firms in the US. And so it's really been incredible to see that there's truly so many different types of roles that, that can be remote. Rule of thumb, we like to say is think about how you spend your day. If you spend at least 80% of your time on the phone or on your computer, no matter what you're doing, you can probably take it remote. And I guess one of my last couple questions I have for you is more just about group travel because I know solo travel is also on the rise. What's kind of unique about remote years offering? Why do you think people are attracted to group travel? What's your thoughts on that? Yes, yeah, such a good question. I think that what truly 
separates remote year from any other type of travel experience is it is a long experience where you're traveling with the same group of people at a minimum for four months and on our you know original offering 12 months so at the end of your trip you are deeply deeply connected to these people and when you think about you know as we grow older being an adult makes it a little harder to actually make deep connections when you're growing up and you're you're making friends you know you're spending time with those friends every single day at school after school in sports you know going to camp whatever it is but as an adult you know that friend time just gets much more difficult one to meet new people and then to actually spend that dedicated time that really builds it, that foundation of the relationship you know we're, we're getting coffee or we're getting dinner or you know maybe we're going on a trip with someone for a couple of days or a week but it's very different and so I'd say the difference or the, the real value of group travel is that you're truly gaining a community of lifelong friends, um, of new friends that value very similar things that you do. You know, if you're choosing to pick up your life and work remotely and travel for four months to a year, you're, you're a special type of person. You know, you're, you're making a, a really big decision and a decision that's really similar to these other people. You're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and you're doing that with, with all of these other, these other people as well. So I'd say it's truly, you know, the community is what separates it. The community is the reason to do it. And whether or not, you know, you sit, you think you're, you like group travel, you know, you can still find your own balance of having solo time and your solo experiences while you're on it. But it's very difficult to make those truly lifelong friends and that this many of them when you're just traveling by yourself. And I'm someone who loves traveling by myself as well, but I, I've, I've never seen as strong of a community as, as the remote year community, what we call the nation. I love to end every podcast episode with some rapid fire questions. So this is a period of the show where there's no right or wrong answer. You kind of just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. Amazing. So first one, peanut butter or Nutella? Nutella. Burning Man or Coachella? Not a festival girl. <laughs> Burning Man <laughs> is technically not a festival, but got it. Beach or mountains? <laughs> Beach. Favorite pizza topping? Oh. Mushrooms. Do you believe in soulmates? Yes. What's your favorite morning ritual? Meditation. So good. Someone and tarot. You, and tarot? Oh. Someone you'd love to have lunch with. Oh. My grandmother. Mm -mm. Something you wish you knew more about. Yoga. Amazing. And last one. What's your favorite podcast other than mine? Yours, obviously. Uh <laughs> I listen to TED Radio Hour when I run every morning. Okay. Amazing. Well, those are all the questions I have. I want to thank you again for coming on the show and we'll definitely make sure we include all the links for everyone to join an upcoming remote year. Thank you so much, Sam. Thanks for having me. It took me forever to release this episode because I wasn't happy with the sound quality from the live taping. And so last night I ended up hiring a freelancer on Fiverr's platform who worked his magic and made it sound a lot better. Definitely felt like a full circle moment uh, given the nature of the conversation for today. 
So Maggie Fogg spent a full year traveling to more than 20 countries, freelancing as a marketer, branding expert, and digital nomad. In the next bit of this episode, Maggie and I reflect on how that experience impacted her definition of success, the types of people she traveled with, and her tips for making remote work work. Maggie's story was pretty similar to Emily's in that she was already working for another employer and spent months building a business case with them about why she would be successful in taking her current job remote and participating in the program. And after months of back and forth, her employer said no, they weren't going to support it and she couldn't go. She took the plunge, quit her job, and went on remote year anyway, and decided that she would just become a freelancer. Maggie and I start off this convo exploring how she had the confidence to do this. There was some confidence. I, I knew I had good skills, but it was a lot about knowing that I needed to take a big risk to get the kind of results and the kind of lifestyle that I was looking for. So I thought if I leaped, you know, the net would appear and I would figure it out. And, and that's really where the confidence came from, just knowing that I could figure it out, even if I didn't have the answers in that moment. So did you end up finding work or were you just like chilling for you? I, I felt like coming in as a marketing manager, I was going to have such a breadth of experience that would be really attractive from a freelance perspective, but it kind of turned out not to be the case. Oh no. <laughs> I just realized that um, having more of a niche and really being able to articulate exactly what you can do rather than being able to do a lot of things was a lot stronger. Um, but it was also a blessing because I gave myself the freedom to explore all kinds of projects. And, you know, I had some skin in the game. I was hungry for work. So I was willing to take on a lot of things that maybe didn't initially sound quite up my alley. And it actually, you know, gave me so much as a result of that. So I'm doing freelance right now. And I don't know if you can relate to this, but I feel like every time someone's giving me money doing freelance work, I just feel that much more confident of, like, pushing myself for a next job or taking it. Like, I feel very, um, more and more confident as the gigs come. Do you, does that resonate with you? It totally does. And I think the other thing that was great about my remote year experience is it's such a community. So um, every day when I would make more and more connections, I was able to tell them about what I did, and a lot of jobs came that way. So you kind of start to build your, your digital nomad network. Cool. What was it like, I guess, I would imagine balancing like work and play would be such a challenge like you're in all these amazing countries there's so much to offer you're around people that are doing cool things like how did that work to do it set time so you don't talk to working or it was really tough yeah. um there's kind of constant FOMO there's always something going on and um you know it's really about setting boundaries for yourself and prioritizing um so kind of knowing what your limits are in terms of needing to make a certain amount of money or not being spend, you know, over a certain amount, um, making sure you get the stuff you really need to get done, even if it means you pull an all-nighter. And um, I think, too, you know, something that um, to think about is that when there's stuff out there that you really want to do, you know, if you really want to canyon down that mountain, then you are just going to be smart about how you get your work done and strategic about when to get it done, so you don't have to say no to something like that. So I'm sure there's some people in the room here that would want to be a digital nomad, whether they want to participate in a formal program or not. What would be some of your top tips for someone who wanted to do something like that? Well, packing is, is easy because that's one that a lot of people get fussed up over, and including myself, I packed away too much stuff. And as a long-term traveler, I think it's best to just pack 
for about two weeks and you wear your stuff and then you throw it out along the way and um, get more. And um, from a professional perspective, I think, I think again, just kind of taking advantage of all the people you meet. Um, you know, like we work, we work in co-working spaces around the world and there were a lot of um, opportunities for developing side businesses and, you know, getting work through outsourcing from the people that we met in all of those community go. Got it. And so how long, like, when did this trip end? Uh, it ended in June. Okay. Yeah. How has the transition back <laughs> to real life been? Are you, like, trying to make roots in Toronto? Are you, like, getting out of here as quickly as you can? It's been a little tough to come back, for sure. Um, I would say the biggest um, challenge for me was that I met this amazing community of people on remote year that challenged me and also inspired me and uh, finding that kind of group again has been difficult in Toronto so the shared values and people who seek adventure people who want to see what's out there people who want to make big leaps as well as those kinds of things amazing cool I'm so glad we had <laughs> so did you have any like goals or an intention that you set for the trip like were you hoping to have this like epic life of epiphany and if so, like, how does that measure up to actually work? Well, I, I think I'm still waiting for the biggest <laughs> But um, my goal was to just be really bold and step out of kind of my comfort zone as often as I could. And I think I definitely did that. I feel like I grew more in that year than I probably had in the five years prior. So um, it, was, it was huge for me from that perspective. Wow. And 20 countries in 12 months. Yeah. Very cool. How do you feel like it's shaped your identity and maybe how you think about the next few years, the next five years? Like, do you feel like you're on a different path now? I definitely feel like I'm on a different path. Okay. I think um, something I didn't know about myself before was really how much I value freedom. freedom. Um, I, I was just kind of, you know, used to my routine before, and I just don't think I could go back now, you know, because having balance in my life and being able to kind of choose my own adventure is really important for me and it's really empowering for me. I kind of take some comfort in the fact that I don't feel like I have to be in one direction for the rest of my life now. I feel like I know I've gotten up and tried something new and it was successful before. So I think whatever I do in the next six months or a year, it's, it's, it's just for as long as I feel like doing that, I'm going to follow the inspiration wherever it takes me. You sound so open. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much. It was so fun to have you. Very inspiring. I hope you do the digital nomad thing later this year, so hold me to that. I absolutely will. Awesome. Thanks, thanks for having me. That's it for episode 27. If you're inspired to learn more, I've included my remote year referral link in the notes and it gives you $300 off your first trip. So you can definitely sign up to learn more about the program there. Personally, I head out for Panama on January 6th and will be taking my laptop and my podcast mic with me. I'm so excited to experience the highest highs and some of the inevitable lows of being a digital nomad and what that life is all about. Follow me on Instagram to come along for the journey. And of course, I follow back. Until then, enjoy your freedom.